0: Well, we're continuing to make our way through Genesis and a chapter at a time for now, unless there's a few that we can kind of get going together if they all fit. But uh, tonight, just chapter 28, kind of going a little bit as we can. Let's read through it, and then we'll come back and see what there is. And uh, continue to pray the Lord just brings to heart and mind what he would have us know about him and his nature and his character for us. So, verses uh, 1 through 22. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Uh, Rise, go to Pada Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you, and may you be fruitful and multiply you. And that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. And so Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and he sent them away to Paddan Aram and to take him a wife from there, and that he blessed him and gave him charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had, done, had gone to Bad Aram. Also Esau saw the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac, and so Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. And now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to the certain place and stayed there all night, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones in that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he had dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac and the land on which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And you and your seed, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, Now how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone which he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar. And poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. And then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I can come back to my father's house in peace, well then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Verses 1 and 2, all we need to do for a little context there is go back one verse into, into chapter 27. And um, we see how, um, you know, Rebekah is sending Jacob away. But then in verse 46, Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. In other words, Esau's wife, those Hittites. If Jacob takes a wife from these guys, then she has nothing to live for. But even going back to chapter twenty-six, the last two verses, it was Esau was forty years old. He took as wives Judith, the daughter of Barry the Hittite, and Bazimath the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And it says they were a of grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. And so really that's the context for just those first couple of verses. You know, not only that, remember Abraham said to, to Isaac, go get a wife from your, my, my household. And we studied through that where he would uh, not want to take a wife from the Canaanites around. He doesn't want to intermarry with the, the land. He's going he's gonna to take that land. He's going to displace those people and, uh, when he inherits the land, and when his descendants inherit the land. And so don't be marrying into it. Well, Esau did and, and was a grief of heart and mind to, uh, to uh, Rebecca and Isaac, but um, Isaac blesses, it says in those verses 1 and 2, that he blesses and sends Jacob to Laban uh, to find a wife and all, not like uh, Esau. But uh, verses 3 through 5, like Abraham gave the blessing of God's covenant and the promises to Isaac, so now Isaac passes this on to, Jace, uh, to Jacob and he says, may God Almighty, in other words, in the presence of God. Um, you know, when we say to people, God bless you, you know, and things like that, we're bringing the Lord into it. We're bringing the presence of the Lord into it. And, uh, you know, may God Almighty in the, in the presence of the Lord bless you. And he makes it clear that it was God that was going to have to do all this. All the things he lists, he lists it as things God's got to do. And again, we, the theme, even on Sunday mornings lately, has been works versus grace, works versus faith. And it just continues on. And really, that is so central to true Christianity that it's not based on your works or on your sweat and, and your tears and all, but it's based on, on uh, His abilities and your faith in Him. Um, but He says, uh, you know, God's going to do all this. What? The descendants? The seed, that promised seed, again, it's mentioned again after Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham said to Isaac, and Isaac's now saying it to Jacob, it's the seed that's going to bless all the families of the earth. And uh, But he says also that land in which you're a stranger, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, he's living in tents. He's uh, not baking bricks and building buildings and building cities or anything like that. He's dwelling in tents and he's a sojourner. And a pilgrim, just like Abraham and Isaac were, so Jacob goes up, and now Esau sees this. Um, his parents are sending out Jacob in verses nine, six through nine, um, sending Jacob for a wife, and it starts to occur to him that this is why my parents aren't pleased with me. Um, he he's he had despised his birthright to possess the land and drive out the Canaanites. So he married into the Canaanites and he had lost Isaac's blessing then when Jacob tricked him. And so now he's marrying into Ishmael's family. And um, so he, he's just left with nothing else. And, and Esau sees that his parents uh, were were just uh, displeased with him and with those Hittite wives that he had taken and they were a grief of heart to them. And so he it, he finally kind of buys a, vowel a little bit, and instead he goes to the family of Abraham, which is Ishmael, and all, but um, in verses 10 through 12, um, again, uh, Jacob went out from Beersheba, he went down toward Haran, um, actually I said down, but not down, it's up. Remember, we looked at the map, and these guys are down in the Negev, uh, nowadays, uh, that uh, the desert area down towards if you, between the bottom of the Dead Sea over to the uh, Mediterranean in that area down um, where Mamre was, where uh, Abraham called on the Lord. And Haran was way up border of Turkey and Syria. And so they, he had to travel all the way up. And so on the way he comes across this area. It just simply says a certain place Uh, But it also says this was near the town or right at the town of Luz. And he puts this stone uh, for a pillow. Now, I'm sure that had to do with some padding as well. (laughs) You know, and they had all kinds of furniture and, you know, clothes and and, uh, things like that that they'd kind of bring along. He's not sleeping with his head on a rock. He might be, but I kind of doubt it. Um, But the stone that he used that was there is where he had this dream And, uh, you know, he sees a ladder going up to heaven and angels going up and down it. And now, this is the first time that the Lord appears to Jacob. I'm sure he heard all the stories when uh, he had appeared to Abraham and when he had appeared to Isaac and all. And so he had a testimony that that he was aware of. But now, this is the first time that uh, the Lord appeared to Jacob in this dream. And he's establishing now his covenant, the covenant of Abraham, with him, with Jacob. Um, And indeed, that God in heaven is also right there with Jacob. And that's that ladder. That's that connection. All of a sudden, heaven is not some faraway place. Heaven is right there, and God is speaking to him, making that covenant with him. And uh, it's an interesting thing that, that that would be the dream. Seeing angels ascending and descending. Um, indeed, you know, God of heaven is right there. And Jacob has access to God, and he will call on God because he knows he has that access as the days go by and all. Um, now, the Jews of Jesus' time would certainly know of this whole account. These are the forefathers of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of Israel. And the Jews of Jesus' day would certainly know of all this, and it was their almighty God, and he had established that covenant with them, with the descendants of Jacob. So that that would be the Jews of Jesus' time and and all. Jacob's ladder was that bridge, that connection to God in heaven with his holy angels, ascending and descending, connected to mankind in the earth. Now for us Jesus is who bridges that gap between the Holy God and mankind. That word Emmanuel, um, it ends in L, that's God. Eman is with, and Emmanuel is God is with us. Um, In John chapter 1, if you want to go there, just for well a few verses, I I put up just 51, but we're going to go back up to 43 and kind of lead up to it. The Lord had already um, uh, drawn Andrew to himself, and Andrew had talked to his brother Peter, and, and so Peter and Andrew were already following the Lord. Um, there's, this is in John, so there's more details about that in Matthew and Mark and all. But um, in verse 43, the following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, Well, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Well, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite. Indeed, in whom is no deceit. Well, Nathanael's taken back a little bit. and He says to him, well, how do you know who I am? And Jesus answered and said to him, well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, whatever Nathanael was doing or thinking, maybe praying and seeking the Lord about some things and specifics that only he would know and only the Lord would know, all of a sudden that pathway, that gateway, if you will, that Jacob you know, the ladder to heaven is all of a sudden here's a guy speaking to me about stuff that only God knows in heaven. And so Nathaniel is getting this. Immediately he says uh, to him, Rabbi, well, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said this to you and I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Notice. He said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus had called Andrew, Peter, now he's calling Philip and Nathaniel. Nathaniel means gift of God. But he says, You'll see the ascending and the descending of angels, proving to him that indeed he was the Son of God, and that it was the same God of Isaac, or of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And through Jesus, you know, I should say though Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, and judging by Nathanael's response, it was probably not known for anything good. And we don't have to go there if you want to mark down Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30, um, is the story when Jesus went to uh, Nazareth And it says, because of their unbelief, this is the town he grew up in, you know. And what he would say is, you know, a prophet's not without honor. In other words, you can have a prophet go anywhere in the world, and he's going to get respect. He's a prophet of God. There's going to be signs. There's going to be miracles. There's going to be people believing. But you go to the hometown where they know him, they know his dad. He was a carpenter. He just used to, you know, didn't he fix, you know, Mark's, uh, you know, you know, Furniture one time or something as a carpenter. I don't know, whatever example you want to use. But uh, in fact, they just didn't believe. And it says Jesus could do few miracles in Nazareth and to the point where they got angry. Um, he challenged them and uh, they tried to throw him off a cliff and he passed right through their midst. You can look that up, Luke 4. Jesus is the door that access, that gate, um, you know, the house of God, and we think of, you know, what Jacob is saying about this particular spot. Well, that's where the Lord met him. You know, uh, the Lord ap- approached Abraham when he was still, um, uh, you know, when he uh, came to him before he went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, he approached Isaac and spoke to him and directly. Now he's speaking to Uh, Jacob And Jacob sees this as a a gateway to heaven. And Jesus would say, well, I'm the door. All the access uh, to God is through Jesus Christ and nobody else. Um, Few believe and they're lost. Or I should say, uh, many are lost because of their unbelief. Few believe and are saved. And many are lost because of their unbelief. Just because of that simple truth, the one and only way to the, to the Father is through the Son. Now, no man can build a ladder to heaven or a stairway to heaven, and even a Tower of Babel uh, or a James Webb telescope that they have. If you look at those pictures, they really are awesome. I sit and worship the Lord when I see those galaxies. If you ever go ahead and look up the James Webb uh, and see those pictures, it's amazing. And you just can't read what they're saying because... And again, if, you, if you're if you stumbled by that or puzzled by that, just remember how the order in which God created things. The first thing he created was light. Well, the light was everywhere. Well, then later, a couple of days later, he creates the planets and the, the stars and so forth. And that connects that light. And that becomes the light bearer. But the light was there from day one. So it didn't have to travel millions of years to get to us. So the date's... it just is so simple with that following the the order of events and creation that um, the earth could easily be just six, seven thousand years old. I like six it's a thousand days, a thousand years as as a day and then we got uh, the seventh will be the millennium and the Sabbath rest that's simple enough for me and and, uh, I have yet to see science that, uh, not that I study that much to prove otherwise and for all of that again you can look to um, the Creation Institute and uh, the Ark Encounter in Kentucky and Ken Ham and uh, uh, Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson or Nathan Jeanson and we've talked about that so no man can build the ladder to heaven it's got to be the Lord that comes to us there's nothing that we have in us and our strength and all the resources and and all the minerals that Elon Musk is going to find on Mars and bring back to build better electric cars I don't know But uh, you know, I I love the guy politically in some ways, but in other ways, it's it's completely, uh, um, you know, the the glorification of man, the wisdom of man, and not the wisdom of God. But uh, it was God who reached down to Jacob, and it was Jesus who was sent from heaven to earth. Uh, In John three, if you want to go there, um, pretty much the same page there. Like Jesus told Nicodemus in verses 10 through 13, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Because, you know, the Lord is telling him about being born again, how you've got to be born by the Spirit. You can't be, because um, flesh will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And uh, spirit, that which is born of spirit, is spirit. But he says, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? And he says, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, and that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, ascending and descending. Um, you know, this is, these things are heavenly. These things are eternal. These things are outside our universe, outside of creation. This is uh, the one and only Son of God who's been with the Father from all eternity. The Holy Spirit with them, three in one, the Trinity. And, um, you know, so these things are not earthly things. They're heavenly things. Only uh, God can do this. And then going to Ephesians 4, continues to reinforce who alone can ascend and descend from heaven. Ephesians 4, looking at verses 4 through 11, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. and He gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? That he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And now when it says far above all heavens, that's out of our universe and into the eternal Realm with the Father. And He gave Himself some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For what? Till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or complete mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, that's the gifts he gives. He gives it for the sake of building up the body so that we can all be doing our own thing and wandering around and all. Well, we are different parts of the body, but the body works together. We're all one. There's got to be a unity, and it has to do with, um, you know, uh, the equipping of the saints, the edifying of the body of Christ, and the knowledge of the Son of God. There has to be a unity about those things. And these things, uh, only Jesus, it says, can ascend and descend from heaven and even into the lower parts of the earth, leading captivity, captivity. And it's him who fills all things. And it's him that ascends on high. And it's God who is above all else, above all the heavens. Now God came to earth to make a way for man to go to heaven. It's impossible for us to make Jacob's ladder. Or it's impossible for us For mankind to reach up to heaven. But heaven here is opened up to Jacob. And he sees the Lord standing above like Stephen saw Jesus at the right hand of God. Like Daniel and Ezekiel and John saw the throne of God and the cherubim and the seraphim that were around the throne. And that was the awesome sight that they described. But if you want to go back to Genesis verses 13 through 15. Genesis 28. So, behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. That's the first thing, and that's the thing that was a promise to Abraham. But also, he, he, it's everything that he promised to Isaac and, and Abraham as well. And Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, And you'll spread abroad to the west and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed again, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, um, verse 15, Behold, I am with you, I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. This is so encouraging for us to take these things and realize this is God's nature. You know, a lot of times people would say, you know, you're... You're jumping around all over the place in the Bible. The whole, the only reason is, is in order to bring context to who God is and who His nature is. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's not going to be any different right here than He is to you and me today. How He cares for us, how He's going to uh, be with us. You know, um, God promises to Jacob the land, the descendants. Jacob would become Israel, and we'll be going through that. And again, your seed, the families of the earth, will be blessed. Well, that's Jesus. Who is the seed and the families of the earth? Well, that's us Gentiles. We've talked about that. I am with you wherever you go. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. I will bring you back to this land. Jesus promised to bring us to heaven. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have spoken to you. Now, what has Jesus all spoken to us and what he's doing um, one nice thing about that is, right off the top, and we'll be getting into this, is He has given us of His Holy Spirit, who will never leave us until He's going to complete everything He wants to do in us. You know, these are things you may know or have heard, but boy, hang on to them, because there are times when we go through stuff and that it just seems so far away from us. And yet, this is what's so important uh, for us to hang on to: who He is, what His nature is. Uh, Philippians one six, just for one verse. And, you know, is he going to give up on us? It says in verse 6 being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus, until the day of Jesus Christ. And so there might be ups, there might be downs, there might be hills and valleys, there might be the valley of shadow of death. We might go through the dark night of the soul. There are many things that we can go through. Some we bring on ourselves, and some this world just dumps on us, to make it plain and simple. And yet, you know, he will complete until the end that which would he begun in us. Now all you got to do is ask yourself, do you know what he's begun in you? Is there a testimony that you have that you know, that you know, that you know that the Lord did this thing in your life, drawing you to himself? Well, he began a work. He's going to finish that work. You have every confidence, he says, in the Lord, that the Lord's going to do this, and that's not just for today, but every day until He comes to get for to to comes for us till the day of Jesus Christ. It says, if you go back to John ten um, verses twenty seven through thirty, and we've talked about this in weeks past, but it is such a good picture. John ten twenty seven through thirty. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Number one, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And number two, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And I and my father are one. We talked about that, you know, uh, putting your hands together like this the Father Almighty God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody's going to be able to get a mess with that. And um, you, can't, uh, you can't have any greater confidence in what, what the Lord's going to be doing in your life that He will not allow you to be t- snatched away and He's not going to drop you. He's not going to forget about you or, or uh, cause anything to happen that you're unable to bear. Going to Ro- Romans 8, Romans um, 8, carrying on with the idea of what it is that could possibly separate us from God. Well, you know, it doesn't have to do as much with his power. It does, but not as much as it does with uh, something else. In Romans eight thirty-five through 39 it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword... As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. Uh, the prophets were, were killed, but they account, and they were accounted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all those things they were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Are you a created thing? You know, so are you able to separate yourself from his love? No, you know if he's the thing he's begun in you, he's going to complete. So even every created thing, and we know that other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all the universe has created principalities and powers, he goes on to say, will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's about his power and his ability. Yes, He's almighty God but it's because of his great love for us. You know, when you love like he did to lay down his life for us, he's not going to allow us to be snatched away and nothing's going to be able to separate us. When, when was God's promise now made to Jacob? Um, if you want to go back to verses 16 through 19 in Genesis 28. But it was after Rebecca had told him about the older serving the younger. You know, he knew that. He's told by her. It was after he went and he traded up some soup for the birthright, and uh, he knew that he had taken the birthright. And it was after now Isaac had even blessed him and switched over thinking he was Esau, and he had stolen away and deceived his father to take the blessing now of that firstborn. And so it was after all of that that uh, the Lord now, confirms it to him directly. Um, in verses uh, 16 through 19, um, you know, the same is true for us. Really, you know, God confirms to each one of us, you know, we may hear about Christianity, we may listen to people and all, and, uh, but until we actually have our own one-on-one relationship, and that's what's so important about, you know, coming to the Lord and drawing close to him and repenting, on your own. It certainly is a a, you know, a blessing and a benefit to have Christian parents that'll raise their kids up in the Lord and all. But uh, your parents cannot you know, ask the Lord into your life for you. There has to come a time when Christian parents need to take that little boy or girl's hands out of their hands and put them in the hands of the Lord and let them little kids know that they need to draw to the Lord themselves. They need to call on the Lord for themselves. And maybe at a young age they will. Maybe they'll get to 13, 14 and have to go through the teens and turn around and come back later, like the Bible, proverb says, you know, raise your kids up in the ways of the Lord. And when they're older, they'll return to it. You know, if they know, if they know that they can call on the Lord for themselves and they don't have to go through mom or dad or grandpa or grandma, and what a blessing it is to have believing, you know, parents and grandparents to be able to train kids up, you know, and all, and to, to show them the way. But there has to come a time and just like Jacob, he heard all the stories. He knew everything about Abraham and Isaac. He got the blessing. He got the birthright, worked it out, did it all by trickery and did it all like Jacob, catching the heel. He's the heel catcher. Nevertheless, now he has this dream and God appears to him and he gets uh, his one-on-one relationship and truly he says, this is the gate to heaven. Truly this is the house of God. Now he knows for himself and it's a personal thing. And it says a certain place near Luz. That's not really anything that Abraham was. It's not because of this, this location that's somehow special where now that's got to be the, the, you know, whatever religious, you know, center of the world, like Mecca or something like that. Um, it's where he saw the Lord, where the law, the Lord met him. And uh, they became, uh, in that they came to that relationship one-on-one. So now God confirms it himself, as he did with Isaac and Abraham. And uh, same way he did with Abraham in a, in a deep, dark dream, a great fear, a great terror. In uh, verses 16 through 19, it says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. And he was afraid, and how awesome is this place. Now, those two words are the same. Uh, he sees God in this place, and he says he's afraid. And that word means terrified, but terrified with a reverence. It's it's terrified as in not to where that uh, you are afraid uh, with a trembling of destruction, but it's a, it's a reverence. And, and that's the same word. He sees how awesome. Again, that's the same word in verse um, 17. And then he rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he'd put, at his head, set it up as a pillar and poured on it, a top of, on the top of it. Well, it couldn't have been too big, obviously. He, he moved it around to sleep on it and arrange it. Now he stood it up and put it a pillar. So this wasn't any big thing, any big icon you could see for miles around. But it was his mark. It was his place. And notice he pours oil on it. Um, as you look at this, we're seeing Jacob's response. You know, we know of all the things that um, the Lord said he was going to do for him. You know, again, all the things that he promised, uh, he would be with him. Uh, He would bring him back to that land. And he'll go on to say he would not allow him to, to see harm when he returns to his father's house. And Jacob asks about that. But he sees God is in this place. He's afraid, terrified, and he sees how awesome it is. And he says, this is none other than the house of God. And now the house of God, anytime you see the word Beth in Hebrew, Beth means house, and El is from Elohim, and that is God. So the house of God, Bethel. Now, you and I are the house of God. He puts a marker on the stone uh, with this, you know, that was his pillow, and he marks it with oil. Well, if you pour oil on a stone out in the desert like this, it's going to turn dark. It's gonna, you'll be able to see that. Now, like I said, it wasn't this big thing that you could see for miles around, but it was something that when you're passing through there, this was marked, whether it was oil or, or some kind of tar or something like that. But the idea is this was a stone that was marked. This is where it happened. This is where it took place. Now, the oil in the Scriptures is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. In First Samuel 16, it says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, he's talking about, from that day forward. In Isaiah 61, where the Lord uh, fulfills in Luke 4, verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me, he says. Then his disciples in the second chapter of Acts, from Joel, he says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. In John 3, we talked about Nicodemus. You have to be born again by the Spirit. It's an anointing. It's the anointing of oil that would represent that. In First Corinthians 3.16, uh, if you want to turn to Ephesians two, we're going to get there. First um, Corinthians 3:16, "Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the spirit of God dwells in you." Second uh, Corinthians 1:22, "Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts." Ephesians 1:13, "In whom ye also trusted after ye heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation." In whom also after you believed, it says you were sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise. And uh, the Spirit was promised to the church. Uh, All along, God had created us to be in fellowship with him from the beginning. Uh, From before the fall, he had made the arrangement with the Lord Jesus that he would come into this world lay down his life so that he could redeem man back to himself, so that he could live with us, God with us, Emmanuel, and put his spirit in us. Ephesians 2.19 through 22. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. We are God's house. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of the God in the Spirit. Of God in the Spirit. You know, God is in this place. It's terrifying if you want to really think it through. But it's a reverence that we have, that kind of terror. Because He loves us. It's, it's not because we're found guilty and full of shame that we're terrified. You know, and, and it's just a reverence and, a, and a, a fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom because now we understand that He loves us so much that He had to lay down His life for us. And um, Ephesians you know, 2, it says, You and I and all believers in Jesus Christ are the house of God. We are the true church. Bethel, and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You know, God is in this house. 1 Peter 2, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Anything we offer is through Jesus Christ, and that's what makes it acceptable. Galatians 4, 6, and because ye are sons, God hath set forth the spirit of his Son, into your hearts, hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Going back to Genesis, just talking about the truth in our lives, in Him who dwells in us, and to hang on to that, to be able to, to remember that and keep, keep your hearts and minds. You know, We're going to talk about taking your thoughts captive in a little bit in a different context, but when it comes to the doubts, when it comes to the the trying to recover from maybe making our mistakes, um, or whatever, um, don't doubt the fact that he dwells in us. We're his house and, um, he's with us. He's not going to forsake us. So in 20 through 22, in Genesis 28 says, then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me, and this is a list, um, and keep me in this way that I'm going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And Jacob makes this vow. He says, if God will be with me, well, what about us? We'll go through that list. If he will keep me in my way, those travels, he's on his way where he's supposed to uh, find Laban and find a, a daughter f- for a wife. Um, give me bread. Give me garments. The small things, the little things. You got to remember now. This is still Jacob. It's not uh, Israel yet. Uh, he's still somebody who's wrestling with God. He's still in the back of his mind thinking he's got a wheel and deal to get things done because that's how he got things done so far. Uh, he's met with the Lord, but now he's going. You know, I got to make sure I'm going to get what I need out of this. In a small way. Uh, that's not entirely his heart. That's a, you know just being mercenary. But he's got that kind of a, a thing going on. You know, take care of my needs, my bread, the garments. And return to Isaac in peace. Now that's important because Esau is on a hunt right now, isn't he? Esau wants to take him out. Remember Esau's only comfort he would have is to kill his brother for what he had stolen from him. And... Uh, So the return to Isaac, well, for us, you know, that we, you know, we're in this world, you know, keep me in my way, keep me in my travel. Um, If God will be with me, Jacob says, and we talked about Emmanuel, and that's in Isaiah 7 and 8, if you want to just jot those down, we're not going to turn there, Uh, where, you know, the Lord sent Emmanuel, would send Emmanuel to us, God with us keep me in the way our travels well jesus said you know in john 17 when he prayed to the father he says you know these guys are in the world father i don't ask you to take them out of the world but keep them from the evil one protect them in john 17 give me bread and garments well even the lord said to pray in this manner not repeating it like it's a repeti- you know a meaningless repetition our father who art in heaven blah 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 but to to have the attitude of lord you know, give us this day our daily bread. You know, provide for us this day. You know, every day is a new day. It has mercies, and it also has its trials it's going to have in it. Its troubles sufficient for the day is the trouble. Don't really worry about tomorrow, unless you got to schedule somebody for some work. Then you have to think about it a little bit. But beyond that, not with worry or anxiety. Um, return. It says, uh, "Give me bread and garments." You know, give us our daily bread and. It, the Lord even says, even if a sparrow falls from the sky, he'll know it. He keeps track of the sparrows. How much more value are you and I as sons and daughters than the sparrows in the heaven? And so um, he will keep us. And again, not only because he's powerful enough to do it, but because of his love for us. And, and then he says, uh, Jacob makes you know, his side of the deal. Well, if, if you're going to do all those things for me, I will make you. My God. He says he'll make the Lord his God in verse uh, 22 or verse 21. At this, uh, then Jacob made a vow if God will be with me and keep me in this way, and I'm going and give me the bread to eat and put clothing so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And so um, he makes that promise that he's going to make the Lord his God. And the next thing he says, you know, uh, you know he's going to set up this pillar. He's going to establish that this is the house of God. And of all that God gives him, he's going to give a tenth. Well, for us, you know, we're going to make the Lord our God. Well, you know, as, as we do when we ask him into our hearts and lives through faith through that finished work of Jesus on the cross and in such we make the Lord our God um, it's the one truth Lord it's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ the only son of God and we've asked him into our hearts You know, we make him almighty God our God um, but then he, and he forgives us of our sins and he saves us from our sins and he will be the Lord of our life. A lot of times we're happy to call him our Savior. But we got to remember, too, he's our Lord. And what's a Lord? Well, a Lord is a master. He's not a harsh master. He's a master who loves us. But he's still our Lord. He's still our master. And that you know means for reverence. It means for obedience. It means for, for walking in the ways he asks us to walk. He is our Lord. And he makes him his God. Jacob does. In the, in the pillar he sets up, well, for us, we are the temple, the house of God. We talked about that. Then he says, of all God gives him, he will give a tenth. And um, I was thinking, maybe I'll just leave this part off. It doesn't need to go there. But, you know, Bible, as you teach through scriptures, we don't talk about money around here. There's a box in the back. You can figure it out. Ask somebody them um, pass the plate because if there's a need we'll make the need known pass the plate because look how has that been misrepresented throughout all of our American history not to mention church history through the from maybe the 3rd or 5th century on the Catholic Church you know selling indulgences and so forth money is you know that thing that bugs everybody you know so um This is to answer all the questions you might have had but were afraid to ask about money in the Bible. Um, In Romans 12, if we want to turn there, we've got a few to go to, and then we'll be done. It says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, I don't know about ten percent or anything, but your body is all of you. Present your body as a living sacrifice. What's a living sacrifice? Well, you, like I said, he's your Lord and Savior and Master. You know, give him your life. And what you do with yourself, what what you do with these tents. That, we're, that we are living in now, these bodies that are, are destined for corruption and to be cast away. And then when we die, we're raised up in a new body that will not be corrupt. And, and he says, just give that body to the Lord as, as a sacrifice. problem is, every single morning we want to crawl off that altar and, and kind of get back to our own lives and do our own thing. And, and so Paul says, pick up your cross daily and follow after me, because daily... We keep forgetting that we're to crucify ourselves and our own desires for the things that the Lord would have us. That doesn't mean we, we forsake the things that the Lord's given us to do. Raising families, going to our jobs, you know, helping those that we can help and, and uh, being responsible with our lives. But we give it to him. And the other thing is, it's your reasonable service. It's just reasonable. It Doesn't it make sense? You know, we're going to be with him for all eternity. We might have another 50, 60, 80 years on this life, you know. And when that's done, how's that compare to eternity with the Lord? And, yes, it's difficult. And, yes, we have lives to live. And, yes, we find mates and we get married and we raise kids. And that's all about this life. In fact, the Lord said, you know, when you get married, uh, Paul was telling the Corinthians, you know, you care for the things of your spouse now. And, and that's, that's the Lord. He does that. But he talks about this just being a reasonable service. So we're talking about tithes and offerings. He, he's talking about our whole lives as living sacrifices. And tithes and offerings notwithstanding. And Jacob does like Abraham did. Let's, if we get some time here, let's go back to Genesis 14. And if um, you remember weeks past... All Jacob is doing is what he heard the stories. You know, certainly Jacob was passed down all the testimony of Abraham, and the testimony of Isaac, and how God had dealt in their lives. And certainly he knew that when Abraham was coming back from saving Lot, that he ran across this guy, Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace. And he blesses Abraham. And uh, verse uh, in chapter 14, 17 through 20, it says, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of uh, Chetelorim, the kings who were with him, and 18, I should say, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. And tithe simply means tenth. And he gave it to him of all. Now back then he probably didn't have a lot of cash. They had animals. They had uh, servants. They had all these things. And uh, the Lord would just give them over to the, or Abraham would just give them over to the Lord uh, for his service. And um, God had blessed them. And we talked about Jacob's request to the Lord. He's also going to provide. He's asking that he provide for his needs, and all of that. And therefore, he can promise and say, you know, of all the things the Lord has given me, I'm going to give you a tithe, 10%. In Deuteronomy, well, first, uh, this wasn't even in the law until uh, Leviticus 27. If you want to turn again to Numbers, where did I go? Here we go. Yeah, Numbers uh, 18. You know, when Abraham did this, and when I mean, there's nothing that ever said you got to do this. There was no requirement, there was no law, there was no suggestion of any kind. Um, I mean, maybe go back to the ark, and uh, Noah brought seven clean animals, and he so that when he got off the ark, he could sacrifice to the Lord, um, and beyond just the normal sacrifices that they would make to the Lord for all that he provided for him, nobody ever knew anything about this specific you know, rule or, or law. And, and in Leviticus 27, it starts to show up about the Levites. Um, but in Numbers 18, 21 through 27, it says, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting, Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work, where am I, Uh, 27, okay, Uh, tabernacle meeting, uh, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance, the Levites, for the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as heave offering to the Lord, and I will give you the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak thus to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, the tenth of the tithe. So the Levites had to tithe also, but it was of the tithe that they received from everybody else. it was It was intended to supply for the needs of the Levites who, whose ministry was to minister unto the Lord they didn't have land they didn't have animals they they their time and all of their efforts were were uh, for serving the Lord and the temple and, and the tabernacle and so uh, in Malachi, it brings up when they failed to do this, and it talks about how they you know they were wondering what God was all angry about and how Lord says, "Well, you've robbed me." He says, "How? Well, you've withheld your tithes." Well, this was all the law. Abraham and Jacob is before that, and um, in Leviticus and Numbers, that's the law. And in Deuteronomy twenty-five, it tells uh, God simply tells the Israelites to allow their animals to share in the grain that they're laboring to process. And you know, although know the verse that says, "Don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain." Well, this is where we go with, with Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 9. And he brings up these two things. And also in 1 Timothy 5.18, we'll get there in a second. But verses 9, 1 through 15 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, now concerning the ministering to the saints... It is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, and Achaia A-K, uh, was, uh, was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up uh, the majority. In other words, they've been giving, and, and it um, has been going on for a year, and they're already stirring up other people to do the same. And yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest, if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we have not mentioned you, should not be ashamed of this confident boasting. In other words, he's bragging on them and thinking, I better send a letter ahead so that they're ready. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, prepare your generous gift beforehand, that they, which you have previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Keep track of that a matter of generosity, and not a grudging obligation. But as I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Keep that in mind. These are the basic foundational rules for anything. Don't go anywhere else without going here first it's because it's of generosity, it's because of cheerfulness, it's because of God's provision for you. It's not because it's a grudge and you're feeling like, oh, gee, I gotta, you know, how does that, you know, keep it? <laughs> God doesn't. Why would God want to look at that? He's loaded. He can do whatever he needs to do. But if you, you know, he does give us that ability to, to share and to give, and he provides for us over and above. And, um, okay, so where was I? Uh, eight. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Notice he's saying, the Corinthians, you guys are doing pretty good. And they were. They were a a big city, and they were a wealthy church. They had everything that they needed to the abundance, to the point where, you know, they were, you know, Idle hands leads to devil's workshop. They were getting in all kinds of trouble. In First uh, Corinthians, you can read about that and all. And because they didn't have any needs, and they had all the supplies they needed, but there are poor. They're also poor in the fellowship. There are poor in the church around the world. He's saying, if you're going to supply seed uh, and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown. Increase the fruits of your righteousness. In other words, you know, just continue to do. Uh, what the Lord has given you to do. Um, and as you're blessed, then share of it. Just bring what's, what the fruit is. And while you are enriched in everything, for in all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also abounding through many thanksgiving to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you, because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his un- indescribable gift and so he's appealing to these guys. Notice it all has to do with thankfulness to the Lord on their part. It has to do with being a cheerful giver, like Jacob and Abraham. they knew how God had provided for them, and so they said that they set this aside. And uh, they decided to make it a tenth. Um, Jacob made it a vow ongoing. And for all that God provided, he would continue to simply give up to God a sacrifice. And these things were, you know, burned up. A sacrifice of animals and things would be uh, burned up to the Lord or given to the poor along the way. Tithing is not mentioned at all in the New Testament, except for two places. Offerings are two places in the New Testament. Both of them have to do with Jesus talking about the Pharisees' hypocrisy. They tithe, they get a bag of cilantro and they count out the cilantro and they measure off 10% and they would make sure they tithe 10% of their spices and, their, and everything else. So beyond that, tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament whatsoever. In Second Corinthians 10, it's kind of surprising. He goes on to talk about spiritual warfare and it says, for though we walk in the flesh, in verse 3, he says, uh, do not walk according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity in obedience of Christ. You know, certainly one of the first thoughts you're going to want to bring to the Lord, because everybody's... Thinking about money. I mean, it's, our, it's been given to us for stewardship. We go to work in order to make a living. We teach our kids how to save and how to, you know, before they go buy something, we teach them how to manage it. It's—it's it's, Everybody shows it. The world just totally floods us with covetousness. I mean, that little box that shows news and everything else, well, it also says commercials, covet this, get that, get this. you got to have more of this. You got to feel better about that. It's just designed to continue to make us continue to think about these things. Well, the first thought we ought to, well, at least one of the first thoughts we ought to take captive when it comes to spiritual warfare is anything we worry about, anything that we're trying to hang on to and anything that we complain about and want to have control over. And that's nine times out of 10 money, the struggles, the fights, the arguments, the Things like that. And so it's funny that to me that talking about giving here in chapter 9 and then right in chapter 10, it says take your thoughts captive because of the warfare, the spiritual warfare. You know, certainly one of the first thoughts you want to bring into captivity is any kind of worry, anxiety, or anything in control about money. Now think of that kind of freedom. All of a sudden, you're free from all the stuff that you're always fighting and worrying about. You know, that's That's freedom. And um, a good step in the direction. And uh, 1 Timothy 5.18, the Lord, uh, or Paul, talks about, uh, you know, concerning the elders, talking to Timothy about honoring the elders. Just uh, verses 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. He also talks to him about that and we we mentioned it earlier. You know, the Lord just told the Israelites, he says, your animals are treading out the grain. The ox is going around and around in that thing and he's treading out the grain and he can't reach it. And you can bet their tongues are out there trying to get at what they're treading out there on the wheel. Well, shove a little in there for them. And that's basically what he's saying. You know, shovel... Uh, you know, they're treading out the grain and all that. Now, he refers to Jesus in this when he, Jesus first sent out the disciples without any provision, um, the labor is worthy of his wages. He says, if you look at Luke 10, um, and I'm going over, but, uh, well, I knew it was going to be a bit of a risk on that tonight, I guess. Um, I'll just read it otherwise. Luke 10, 1 through 12, it's after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two, his, uh, his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag nor knapsack or sandals and greet and nor greet anyone along the road. But whenever you, uh, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace, in other words, a fellow believer there, or somebody who's open, says uh, peace back to you, and it rests on it, if not, I will return it to you. Then remain at that same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his, hire, uh, of his wages, and do not uh, go from house to house jumping around if that's the case. They've given you their blessing. Peace rests on you. And he's saying that. And that's where where Paul gets this from. In a nutshell, some say tithing is required for the church in these days that we live. Um, And some simply say, make the needs known to the brethren. It's your call. It's your money. Nobody's twisting anybody's arms. Nobody's passing any plate. Nobody's keeping track Marking down everything and always checking on your income to say, "Well, you make this much, I think you ought to be given this much there 's churches that do that by the way, they want to know your income, and they 'll keep track and then then there 's churches that will put up on the board here 's how so and so did you know' that 's insane you know to to be to force people to compare to one another, and that 's got nothing to do with it. Cheerful, not grudgingly, as the lord leads don 't do it any other way don 't even Sit there right now and think of a little twinge of guilt whatsoever. Don't. Don't even let that happen. Just as the Lord leads and the Lord blesses you, do that. You know, when needs come up, like a few weeks ago we passed the plate for Bastia, you know, and the need that they have down there. Like the Corinthians, Paul's taking a collection for the others that are poor, for the others that are really struggling. That's all there is to it. So, you know, the only reason we keep track of anything would be so that we can tell you what to write off if you want to know. If you don't want to know, don't bother. Give cash. Who cares? We, we don't, if that's what the Lord leads you to do. Enough of that. Like I said, more than you wanted to know about all that. But in Genesis 35, we're going to see now as we go on through um, in 48, 49, the Lord continues to bless the children of Israel The same blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob upon his sons to grow, to multiply in the midst of the earth. In Genesis 35, Jacob returns to Luz on his way back from um, finding a wife or two in uh, Laban's house. And uh, the Lord appears to him again. And he confirms that covenant. And we'll come back to that. But he remembers How God fed him. And like he says, when he was redeemed from all the evil, when he does return from Laban, you know, we'll study that and we'll see what Esau does when he returns. And we'll see how that plays out in the weeks ahead. But as God provided for Jacob, he responded. Jacob made the Almighty God his God. Well, what's important from all this tonight God promises to be with us, promises to provide for us and protect us, keep us in his hand, and bring us to his kingdom when we make him our God, when we make him our Lord and Savior and give him our lives. Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all that you give us. Um, Truly, we, we just hope to be with you soon. All these things are so grievous in this world and, and um, the things we see happening in, in our country alone and, and even around the world, and so many people are passing into eternity every single day and, and uh, without knowing you. and it, it, it's more than we can bear. It's more than I can bear, Father. I just pray that you would be uh, working through us for those that you've brought into our lives, um, just to have the opportunity to share with them. And, Lord, we just ask that you'd be continuing to provide for us. And I pray that you'd just give us peace, that we wouldn't be anxious about anything, we wouldn't be worried about anything, but we could just give everything in our lives to you, knowing that you're watching out for us. And we do want to continue to turn our hearts to you in prayer and turn our hearts to you throughout the day and lift up to you all of our circumstances. And So I pray that you'd just grant to us to just... Wallow in your mercies every single morning because your mercies are new every single morning. And I pray that we could just enjoy that grace that you've given us. And so I pray you go with us. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.